afternoon, my conscious co-creators. Welcome to another edition of the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. I am very, very pleased that you are all here with me today. Oh, I've got a really special guest uh, on the show today. I'm really excited to have him with us. Um, but first, of course, we have our quotes of the day from the universe and from Abraham. Let's get through these uh, quotes so I can uh, bring on my guests. So first from the universe. Challenges in life don't arise haphazardly, no matter how accidental or coincidental they may seem. They only arrive when you're ready for them. Tally-ho, the universe. Ah, we love our quotes <coughs> from Mike Dooley in the universe. Uh, I think reminding us today that what we view as challenges are not something that are here to test us, to drag us down, to make us feel like life is so hard or so difficult. Um, our our so-called challenges are really just part of life and they're just how we see them. And that actually the challenges are what make us grow the most. And indeed, have you not felt it sometime in your life that when you've uh, been going through something that seems so difficult at the time that years later, when you look back on it, you say, oh, my God, it, it was, you know, such a amazing period of my life. I grew so much during that that period of my time. And if it wasn't for what I went through, I wouldn't be who I am today. I'm sure you've all experienced that. <clears throat> the only difference is our perspective. And that sometimes our perspective is just a little too limited, a little too short-sighted, so we don't really see uh, the, the beauty in the challenge. And as the universe says here, they only arrive when we're ready for them. I, I, I've heard the, the quote that's saying, um, God never gives us anything uh, that we're not able to handle. Uh, so if we're getting bigger challenges, it just means we're able to handle bigger challenges. All right. Love that quote. Love Mike Dooley's universe quotes. Okay, let's see what Abraham has in store for us today. It is through your exposure to life experiences that your expansion is born. And once expansion is born within you, you only feel good when moving in the direction of your expansion. That's why holding yourself in opposition to your expansion feels so bad. Abraham. Hmm. Really good quote. I don't think I've had this one before. And I think actually it's really interesting because these two quotes are very in alignment. And I think very apropos for our guest today. Um, and, and what the Abraham is saying is that life experiences, or as Abraham likes to call it, our contrast or our challenges, um, are what cause us, in, in Abraham's terms, to launch new rockets of desire. They're what cause us to more clearly identify what it is that we really want in our lives. And so once we've identified what we really want in our lives, then we naturally start moving towards it. But if we hold ourselves away from what it is that we want, or if we focus more on what we don't want, it never feels good. It, 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 it feels it feels contractive. It, it feels like, um, you know, things are just not working for us because we're focusing on what it is that we do not want in our lives instead of what we do want in our lives. And when we allow ourselves to just naturally move in the direction towards what it is that we do want, so as an example, let's see. So we experience a, a, a difficult relationship with a partner and we break up and we're like, oh my God, I hate these kinds of people. Why did this person do this to me? I'm so upset. And we just blame the other person and we just keep focusing on what the quote unquote other person did wrong instead of focusing on, well, you know what? next time I meet somebody, these are the qualities I really want. I want somebody who's A, B, C, and D, and who really lights up my heart and gets me, 
and is is so in tune with what I want that that makes me sing. And so then if we keep focusing on that and not just focusing on what we want in the other person, but looking at that as a reflection of what we need to embody ourselves because what attracts those kinds of people more than anything else is being just like them, then we feel good even if that person isn't here yet. And as we feel good about ourselves and as we keep embodying uh, uh, those qualities, we will bring into our life a person with those exact same qualities. And so if we keep focusing on what we don't want, we don't feel good. We, we, we lose our energy. We, we feel life is against us. But as we embody the qualities, we attract more of that and then it uplifts us and we feel better and better and better. So um, really, I think these, these two quotes are just so in alignment that these challenges or what we perceive as being challenges they're really just opportunities for us to get curious about what is it that we really want in life, really hold that image in our hearts and our minds and our bodies so that we can really bring that into us, into our life, manifest it. And the quickest way I know of to do that is to embody the very qualities to act as if we already have what it is we want <clears throat> and before too long, it's there. All right. Two wonderful, amazing quotes from Mike Dooley in the Universe and from Abraham. I hope you enjoyed them. I certainly do. I really like our quotes. And I just find it so amazing how apropos our quotes are for the discussion of the day. Oh, and just quick shout out to loyal listeners, uh, Patty and William. I see you guys on the Facebook live stream, Patty in Tucson. Uh, William down in uh, Virginia. Thank you guys for joining us as always. It's always wonderful to see you uh, on the live stream. All right. So it is my deep honor and pleasure to welcome to the show Bruce Cryer. Bruce has had a diverse career spanning musical theater, biotech, personal development, health and well-being, and executive mentoring. I love it. A, renaissance, a real renaissance man. He began as a singer, dancer, and actor on Broadway, including two years in The Fantastics. You know, I never saw The Fantastics. He, uh, two years in The Fantastics, world's longest-running musical. Since the early 80s, Bruce has been, Bruce has been teaching uh, innovative approaches to optimal health, business success, personal balance, and human performance. Um, Bruce has been adjunct professor at Stanford University since 1997. It was named CEO of HeartMath in 2000. Help, having helped launch the HeartMath Institute with founder Doc Childre in 1991. All right, great. So let's keep going. So Bruce is co-author of From Chaos to Coherence, The Power to Change Performance, and the Harvard B Business Review article, Pull the Plug on Stress. He has contributed to four books um, being released this year. Oh, um, after a two-year health crisis convinced him to focus his energies on creativity, Bruce now enjoys robust health while singing, dancing, enjoying photography. Welcome to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Bruce. <laughs> nice to be here, Sam. This is a treat. Oh, uh, this is to be this is Conscious Consultant. <laughs> well, I have to tell you, this is just like a thrill for me because. Um, I've known of the HeartMath Institute for probably close to 15 years. And, mm -hmm. and, and I just love the work that the HeartMath Institute has done because it's really put some science behind um, uh, things like energy healing and things like understanding the, the energetic field of the heart and how important that is. And so I, I've always felt like it's kind of the HeartMath Institute has really helped to validate some of the things that spiritual teachers and healers and mystics have been saying for centuries, if not thousands of years. But before we get there, I just want to find out, how does a guy who has a two-year part in the Fantastics get into starting something like HeartMath Institute? <laughs> 
Well, that's a great question, and there's a story there, and it's it's a bunch of years because it wasn't one from literally from one. Uh, you know, I, I stepped out of Fantastics and jumped into Art Man. Right. Uh, when I ended my career in New York City in musical theater, Broadway, Shakespeare in the Park, whatever it was that I was doing, it was because for a while I had been noticing that in my off time, uh, during intermission in the shows I was in, especially the Fantastics, uh, in my my downtime in between shows or before auditions or whatever, I was not thinking about uh, perfecting my craft as an actor or a singer or a dancer much. Mm. I was reading books on spirituality, autobiography of a yogi rocked Uh, my world in in the middle of my run in in the Fantastics. And I was reading other things that were just inspiring me and a part of me was wanting to grow in ways that I couldn't see how that would fit with, with this uh, obsession with being an actor and all that it takes to be a successful actor in New York City, and so the the, the gap was kind of, kind of widening, and I felt myself more and more pulled another direction. And finally, after a two month trip around the country, I took to decide what we wanted to do with the rest of our lives. She was a very successful actress in her own right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we decided we're we're pulling the plug. We're going to give it a couple years and make as much money as we can doing commercials, which we were already good at and could make a good, good living at. Mm-hmm. And then unplug completely and create a new life in California. We were committed to moving to California. Two years shrank to about five months. <laughs> and we realized, why are we still here? <laughs> we know what we want to be doing. Why are we not just going ahead and doing it? And a week later, we had packed up motorhome and left for California kind of like the Beverly Hillbillies, mm. um, the, but kind of the New York version. Any, anyhow, once I had, had arrived there, I became part of a, of a kind of a spiritual community, which was also a university, which was also a business. It was where, a very interesting... Where in California did you end up? I was living in it in the very town where HeartMath was founded 12 years later. Ah, okay. Um, so it was a, a small town in the Santa Cruz Mountains called Boulder Creek. Okay. And it's, it's it's the home of redwood forests and mm-hmm. spectacular um, views and and uh, just a lovely lovely place on the outskirts of Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. So an, yeah. an hour from Stanford, an hour from Google, Apple, uh, Facebook, and you feel like you're ten ten hours away. You're way up in the mountains and all that. So yeah. that's that became my home for many years. And so the journey, a whole new journey, had started. I was completely unplugged from the entertainment world, completely unplugged from the fact that at two in the morning you could get a root canal if you needed to in New York City. Yeah. In, in the town I moved to, by 9 p.m., everything had closed. Yeah. <laughs> Where is everybody? <laughs> Where did they all go? Mm. What do you mean I can't get pizza at 10 a.m., at 10 p.m.? Yeah, what do you right. mean? That's crazy. Right. But the adjustment was quite, was quite fun. But at any rate, the, the path of, of learning and growing and eventually kind of tiptoeing my way into business had begun. Uh, but really, my my per- personal spiritual growth was the the top priority. And um, a couple of years after arriving, I met the man who ten years later would found HeartMath, uh-huh. and his name was Doc Childrink, as mm-hmm. you mentioned in my bio. Mm-hmm. And totally clicked with the guy right off. And he he shattered my stereotypes because his accent was as deep southern an accent as i think i'd ever heard i could I, it was hard to even understand him and it, it, it was so kind of mumbly like he had marbles in his mouth growing tall from real real southern kind of thing mm-hmm. and you know i my uh, elite arrogant um, white privilege assumption of such an accent was this is not a intelligent human being let alone caring mm-hmm. and yet in the and yet in meeting this gentleman I realized this is one of the most intelligent people I've ever met mm. and one of the most intuitive, caring people I've ever met. And this, mm. what a cool individual to get to know. Heart math did not exist yet. This was 1980. Right, right, right. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, years. Let, let me stop yeah. you there because sure. I would like to leave the audience hanging. We want to take a little bit of a break. Um, uh, just a quick question. Uh, Boulder Creek, is it? Uh, how far is that from Esalen? Uh, a few hours. It's, oh, it's, it's few probably 100 miles down south along the windy road, so it's probably oh, close okay. to maybe as much as three hours uh, drive. Oh, okay, okay, okay. All right, I didn't realize. So it's 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 not that close to Big Sur and all that stuff. 
two ways. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Um, all right. So let's. We got to take a quick break. Um, when we come back, I want you to pick right back up and 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 let us know what happened after you met Doc and 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 sort of. I'd love to hear the genesis of Heart Math. Like what really inspired the two of you to create this thing and and sort of the a little. I'd love to hear some little nuggets of the early days. Okay. Delighted to do that. Awesome. Awesome. So everybody, please stay tuned. You're listening to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We do this every Thursday, 12 noon to 1 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on talkradio.nyc and all over Facebook um, through the live stream. And we're talking this hour with Bruce Cryer, co-founder of the HeartMath Institute. And we'll be right back after this. Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We do this every Thursday, 12 noon to 1 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on talkradio.nyc. And we're talking with Bruce Cryer, uh, co-founder of the HeartMath Institute. And I see William says on the Facebook Live that he's doing uh, some uh, HeartMath experience. That's an introductory lesson, I guess, that HeartMath offers. So... See, see, Bruce, you're 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 on the perfect show because my my audience is is already familiar with our math. So so uh, let, let's get back to your story. So it's the uh, early '80s, mid '80s, late '80s. You're you're out in uh, California. You meet Doc Childre, and uh, what happens? Yeah, so it was actually 1980 when I when oh, uh, I met Doc, and uh, and this was. Uh, <laughs> It's kind of funny to even say this, but this is pre-internet, pre-cell phone, pre-email, pre-text, pre-social media. So he left. I didn't see him again for seven years, uh-huh. <laughs> and I mean, we didn't we didn't exchange email addresses. There was you didn't there wasn't such a thing. So uh, I, I literally didn't see him for seven years. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was a friend of the guy who had founded this organization that I was already part of in California, mm-hmm. and he kind of reappeared. Doc did uh-huh. as because he was friends with the guy who had started what I was involved with. And uh, the things kind of unfolded, and clearly Doc had, had advanced a lot in his own thinking about life and the nature of the heart and whatnot. And what was clear was that he was having an increasing intention to create an organization around the study of the heart mm-hmm. and to be able to share a set of t- tools that could not only help people with the day-to-day strain of just being alive and dealing with stress and health and money and all the usual suspects, mm-hmm. but at a higher plane to be able to unfold the intelligence that he was convinced mm-hmm. was locked inside the human heart. Mm-hmm. And so to prove out such an idea, we, he said, we, we got to use mainstream science. We can't do this through alternative science. Uh-huh. We can't use alternative medicine to prove ideas that we want to become mainstream <clears throat> because the people in power of the of the mainstream organizations the health systems the the major companies the institutions the government agencies will not buy in unless you're mainstream enough where they can res- respect the research that you've done and i thought that is brilliant i can i can buy into that i'm enough of a ne- skeptical new yorker still even though i've been in california a long time that i wanted the evidence you know, I intuitively believed the heart was extremely important. I had made it a, a public commitment that, that this was my path in life. This was, I am a man of the heart. That's why I'm here. Mm-hmm. I'm here to learn as much as I can about the heart and be able to share the fruits of that, that learning. And as we all were kind of, those of us who were involved with HeartMath at the beginning were all kind of saying that. And, and to clarify, Doc is the founder of HeartMath. Right, right. I was one of the team that uh, he brought in at the beginning. So I was part of the leadership group. Right away, you know, from how, day one. How many people were there on that team? About there was about thirty of us at the beginning. Oh, that many! He, wow. He he moved out from the East Coast, and he had a group of people he'd already been working with in North Carolina, where he was uh, living. And then there was a, a number of us who were in Boulder Creek already, who were, had um, had been part of this university slash spiritual community slash business. Gotcha. So some of us came into it, and then there was another group from Southern California that had been affiliated in different ways. So we sort of all merged. Well, I was lucky because I already lived in the in the in the right town. <laughs> the others had to move, <clears throat> so that's when HeartMath really began, which was more like 1990. But officially, gotcha. the start date was 91 because that's when we 
received the official 501c3 nonprofit status as an institute. So did Doc have like a background in electrical engineering or in uh, science or whatever? I mean, or... Not at all. Not Not at at all. all. Oh, wow. Uh, A a great appreciation for it. And so he knew that we would need to have high, you know, top-notch scientists as part of our team. Mm-hmm. Uh, but part of the fun of HeartMath was a lot of us were in roles we, that did, did not show up on our resume. Mm-hmm. You know, we had not previously been the research director of a, of a nonprofit right. research organization. We had not previously been the, the, in my case, executive director of corporate programs at somewhere else. You know, so a lot of us were learning as we went, and it was very much part of building an organization, building a, a philosophy based on the research that we were doing in labs with real people, mm. with organizations, et cetera. So it was a very dynamic uh, I'm, place. To... I'm curious, how long did it take to get enough data, get enough, uh, like figure things out enough that you felt like you really had something there? Like, hey, like we're really getting the evidence. We, we, we figured out how to measure things. Uh, you know, was that process relatively quick? Did it take a while? It's a terrific question. I've never <clears throat> thought of it exactly in those terms, but because there were there were sort of many points where mm. something significant happened and it, we got a jump, and then uh. another one, and we got another jump. And sometimes the jump helped one part of our mission, but not the whole mission uh, as much. I'd say. I see. So I always think back to a, a couple of things that happened in the in the mid '90s, where, um, well, actually this was this was later, but there were there were um, the thing I was going to mention was actually more late '90s, but mm-hmm. you know all through the early years, I think there were one of the most seminal moments was when the research track we felt we were on was validated by an extremely high level authority. So basically, uh-huh. it was in 1991-92, we were just getting going we had beliefs about what the heart really could do just how mm-hmm. intelligent it was and it was a bit of a i mean there was a, a scientific method but it was also a bit of a easter egg hunt like where where do we look next what's the best way to try to validate these theories we have about the heart mm-hmm. and at a certain point uh, actually it was one of my clients which was a heart rate monitoring company mm-hmm. who was interested in us because they thought our tools for reducing stress would help mm-hmm. their salespeople. So the fact that we were also in the heart business was kind of interesting, <laughs> but that wasn't why they bought in. They, they, right. they thought, well, you guys have some very effective stress management techniques. Gotcha. Our salespeople need that. Right. So I, I'm up there doing the training, and the head of marketing for the company is listening to the whole thing. And at one point, he takes me aside. He says, you guys need to be really getting deep in, deeper into this heart rate variability concept that, mm. uh, that you're already starting to talk about. I have a connection to the cardiologist at Northwestern who invented that term. Oh, wow. And I would like to arrange, if, if possible, for him to visit with you because if you could ever get him to buy into what you're talking about, mm-hmm. it will be extremely valuable for you. Mm-hmm. That was arranged. He, he flies out. Dr. Donald Singer is his name. Eminent cardiologist did not suffer fools. Mm. <laughs> he was not messing around with bunch of California hippies if that's what we were you know he's like he wasn't gonna mess around and I will never forget because here is the man who who was a significant sort of founder of a whole major branch of cardiology called heart rate variability the idea that our heart is constantly changing speed and that the analysis of how and why it's changing speed can inform us about the overall health of our bodies and our nervous system. It's mm-hmm. a hugely important field, right. but not that well understood yet outside of kind of narrow research. Right. So here we are basically telling the founder of, the, of that field mm-hmm. that we understood we could change someone's, we could teach someone to change the pattern of how their heart is beating. You could learn to control that. You mm-hmm. didn't need to become a yogi. And before we kind of revealed that, he had said to us, it's impossible for any human being to change <laughs> the pattern of their own heart. It's just, it, you can't do it. You, we, we have a lot of variability, a lot of variation, like think of it as a super flexible muscle when we're babies. Mm-hmm. And then as we grow, it gets a little tighter, a little tighter, a little narrower, a little narrower. So as we get older and older, the range of how our heart can vary diminishes. Kind of like, uh, think of it like a muscle. The right, range of right. what your arm can do at 
50 is less than at 40 is less than at 30 is less than at 20. Gotcha. So the heart's a muscle, so it's also kind of contracting and slowing down, if you will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that was the concept at the time, and we said, um, yeah, we understand that's the concept at the time, <laughs> and we're not quite buying that. Mm-hmm. And so the research director, our research director, we were all sitting in a lab. I was mm-hmm. sitting to the left of Dr. Singer, who had just said, you cannot change mm-hmm. the pattern of your own heart rate variability. Our research director puts electrodes on his ribcage, mm-hmm. turns around, from the meeting, mm-hmm. faces his computer, we could all see his large screen, mm-hmm. and he, he, he starts monitoring his own heart rate. It was clear right in front of our eyes that this was happening. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, the pattern changes and becomes this beautiful, absolutely ordered sine wave. Oh. Perfectly, perfect order. Wow. And before that, it was not ordered at all. It was kind of all over the place, kind mm-hmm. of like an earthquake. Mm-hmm. So here was Dr. Singer who had just said, <laughs> you cannot change <laughs> the pattern of your heart. And our research director, it wasn't some yogi off a mountaintop. Our, uh-huh. our freaking research director is doing it. And so I'm sitting there with the old sales expression in my mind, the first one who speaks loses. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so, so I mean, I wasn't literally thinking winning and losing, but meaning I wasn't about to, right. Dr. Singer, what do you think? I wasn't about to say a word. I just uh-huh. sat there and Dr. Singer finally said, he turned to his colleague, the gentleman who brought him, Mm. And he said, Colin, this is significant. <laughs> um, as the story continues, he became a significant part of our scientific advisory board. Uh, we co-published papers with him in major mm. medical journals that were kind of validating our basic approach to heart rate variability. So we were, gain, we were getting very mainstream publication in, in very respected medical journals thanks to collaborating with him. Mm. And that began process where our research was taken seriously because we were not just some group on a mountaintop somewhere with some kind of spiritual sounding ideas we were using mainstream science tools getting north northwestern cardiologists involved in our research they don't suffer fools Mm -hmm. they they would be only involved in something serious so our credibility was was growing and meanwhile there were many other steps along the way that similarly were like another jump um, okay. When we got an article published, go ahead. I, I, I can talk. Yeah, I noticed. So uh, we got to take a break, but I just want to ask you real quick before we go to break. Um, about, at what point did you feel? Uh, so this gave you. Th- this was like the moment where you felt you had the, the 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 mainstream attention of of specialists and researchers. At what point did you feel like, oh, like people know about us now? Like like we're it's much wider than just a small field of researchers. Shall I answer that now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just real quick, if you can answer that shortly. Cons- Consumer Electronics Show 2009. Uh, and I think it happened even before then, but that especially, we were entered, Our one of our technologies was entered as a new product. And out of the hundreds of products that were entered in the Consumer Electronics Show, we won. Wow. We won a landslide. It was by far the most popular new product that came out that year. And that was a validation of, wow, that's the consumer electronics show we're talking. That is as mainstream as you can get in the world of technology. Okay, wonderful, wonderful. Okay, let's leave it there. When we come back, I want to ask you about surprises and maybe some unexpected findings and and myths around the heart that, that you discovered through the process, okay? Sounds great. Awesome. Everybody, please stay tuned. You're listening to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. Um, And listen, if you're enjoying this interview, please share the video, share the podcast. You know, we're all over all the podcast apps. Please make sure to share it with your friends and let's get this information out there. And we will be right back after this. Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. Just wanted to let you know, Bruce, I was checking in with Adam, who introduced us, just to make sure he was listening in. He said, yes, he's enjoying it. <laughs> Great. Um, awesome. So I'm curious, like, uh, uh, during this whole time that you're working on stuff and developing things and you're getting validation here and there, 
What were the biggest surprises along the way for you personally? Like you heard that really like made you take a step back and say, oh my God, I had no idea. Yeah, there were any number of moments. I think in the mid '90s, when this uh, a number of researchers, especially Dr. Drew Armour in in, in Montreal, or he was at Dalhousie in Nova Scotia, actually discovered the neurons in the heart, and realized that these neurons are functioning like a brain, and every human being has one, and it's we call it a heart brain. That was pretty stunning. And that was not our research, although. Um, Dr. Armour later became part of our advisory board as well. And so somebody was, was at the leading edge of uncovering a whole new dimension of the heart, never, never kind of even imagined in a way. Although, you know, when you think back to ancient civilizations, there was a reverence for the heart as a source of wisdom, courage, intuition, intelligence. So in a way, it shouldn't have shocked us that there'd be a neuronal structure that looks like a brain in everybody's mm. heart. But we didn't know that until whatever 20 25 years ago yeah. so that was pretty stunning um that that was that was definitely a, a, a huge moment i think another one that i'll never forget mm -hmm. was this idea that the first sign of life is the heartbeat uh, and at that moment the fetus is not differentiated into organs other than the heart mm. in other words it's a bunch of it's billions of undifferentiated cells that will become skin cells bone cells liver cells brain cells but none of those organs exist yet. It's a, it's, it's a fetus that's yeah. un, undifferentiated. The heart is that initial signal that's the, that's the go button to the cells. It's time uh, to now become what you're supposed to become. Oh, interesting. That was pretty amazing. So the, the heartbeat is the first sign of life, mm -hmm. and it's the last. <laughs> what, are, what are some of the big myths that you feel people have around the heart and the brain that... that heart math has been able to actually wait before we get there I, I forgot I wanted to ask you how did how did you guys come up with the name heart math institute I was very curious about that we would have to dive into the brain and heart of Doc Childray to understand that <laughs> question it, it, it's it's he came up with it mm -hmm. one one day he he told us that was the name uh, I was like wow okay. that's a weird name <laughs> okay. I had the reaction that many people do that's that's kind of strange the, the, not crazy about the math part but yeah, yeah. it grew on me and then of course over time it was like this is the perfect name yeah, yeah. because number one it's memorable number two it creates curiosity and creates some intrigue like yeah, heart yeah. math that's an unusual combination right, right. yeah but, absolutely so how he came that. up with it intuitive uh, some intuitive insight of, okay this is it. all this right is no problem I, just, I was just curious okay yeah. so, so what are some of the big myths that you think people have around the heart and the mind and the brain um, that that you the research that that you were part of really exposed. I think the most fundamental is this notion that the heart is just a pump, mm. and that's been with with Western science for over 150 years, at least since the Descartes was was in charge and mm. telling us that you know things were the heart was a fantastic machine, mm. but that's all. So mm. it was an amazing pump, an incredibly complex pump, mm. but that's it which flew in the face of every major spiritual system, every major ancient medical system. The, mm -hmm. heart, the, the heart's revered, absolutely revered in, mm -hmm. in Chinese medicine. Mm -hmm. It's not thought of as just a pump. Right. Hardly. The heart's right. seen as intelligent. Right. So we were up against both the collective cultural belief that that was true, mm -hmm. the heart's just a pump. And therefore, why would you care about it other than its role as a pump? Mm -hmm. you, you wouldn't think of you know, doing things from your heart. You wouldn't think of following your heart, mm. follow your pump. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, like yeah. that whole concept of listen to heart, listen to what makes your heart sing. That, mm. that view of the heart's just a pump kind of says, well, well the, that heart sing thing, that's poetic, romantic, but get down to earth now. Right. The heart's right. just a pump, just, right. and it's, just poetic, and, romantic. And, and it's definitely yes. not, it's definitely not. Uh, and, and I think I heard it, I, I believe this came from heart math, uh, I'm not sure that the the electromagnetic field that the heart generates is like six times the size of the brain. Uh, even more, even the more. electrical output of the heart, mm -hmm. uh, the signal produced is about sixty times 60. stronger than the electrical signal produced by the brain. So, as we unfolded our research, we began to see the heart as kind of the main power plant electrically and magnetically, uh, with the brain being more of a substation. Mm. 
and electrically and magnetically. Magnetically, it's hundreds of times, if not thousands of times stronger magnetically mm. than what the brain's putting out. So the, right. the dominant electrical and magnetic signal of the body by far is what's, what the heart's right. generating. Right. And then we discovered that, and guess what? The skin doesn't stop that signal. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that signal, it's an electrical signal. It passes through things right. like skin mm-hmm. <laughs> or walls. Mm-hmm. And so it can be measured feet many feet away from the body mm-hmm. and then we tied in okay so this is all related to our emotion because mm-hmm. the field that's created by our heart with every beat of our heart mm-hmm. is absolutely affected and integrated with the emotions that we're feeling yeah. so the heart's like a broadcaster of what we're feeling and, so if and, and you guys were the ones who figured out that like gratitude that when you're in a state of gratitude or appreciation that's when it's like the highest frequency if i if i remember properly I don't know that I would call it the highest frequency. There are many frequencies of the heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, the, the gratitude is a particularly powerful magnetic okay. aspect. I mean, I think in our life experience, when somebody expresses deep gratitude to you, it can change your state like very few other right. things, yeah. right? And when you can, you can be depressed or anxious and then suddenly have gratitude for the sun, the, the glory of a sunrise and mm-hmm. completely changes your your perspective and your body and your biochemistry and everything. Mm-hmm. So it's a very powerful quality. And we, we talk about it a lot and did a lot of research around gratitude and appreciation mm-hmm. because we feel it, we always felt it was, it was quite accessible to many people. Mm-hmm. You could usually find something to appreciate, even if it's vanilla gelato. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, even if it's not something more meaningful, you right, usually right, find right. something, Oh, I love that. Right. <laughs> right. At least I have that. Right. Um, I'm curious, this is like such a fascinating area thing to be involved with. Um, are you still involved with the Institute or did you leave it a while ago? I mean, now that you're back here on the East Coast, I'm assuming. Yeah. So in 2009 through 2011, I went through a lot of health issues, uh-huh. um, bladder cancer, surgery, uh-huh. immunotherapy uh-huh. treatment uh, to make sure mm-hmm. the cancer didn't return. Um, I got staph infections from the immunotherapy treatments. Mm-hmm. Uh, the staff got in my blood, which is life-threatening. So yeah. I was dealing with all of this in about a six, seven-month period. Um, yeah. It finally got taken care of all of that, and I'm, I'm now more than 10 years cancer-free. Yeah. yeah. 10 years staph infection-free. Mm-hmm. Um, I also had to have both hips replaced because th- that had been an, an issue going on before the cancer, and uh-huh. now that was getting worse, mm-hmm. and I couldn't ignore that anymore. And meanwhile, my mother passed away. Gotcha. And my marriage was, was kind of uh, shaky. So mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot was going on in a very short amount of time. And in, in, in the many hours of um, waiting, recovering, getting treated, whatever the process, different phases that I was in throughout this two-year period, mm-hmm. there was a lot of reflection time, a lot of mm-hmm. what's this telling me? What's this series of things mm-hmm. telling me about my life and where I need to go next? And increasingly, I began to realize there was some unmet or un, un, um, unappreciated aspects of myself that I was not expressing. And that was a more creative side to me. I had been an actor. I had been a singer. I had been artistic. I had a small art business in the city even in the, in the 70s. And I, I wasn't doing any of that anymore. And I was managing meetings and managing a company and traveling around all over the world and, and whatnot. And a lot of it was extremely fulfilling. So none of this story should should sound like I'm ungrateful for, for right. the life that I had had, let alone the contribution I made, but right. I realized something also was missing. Right. And gotcha. so it led me to, to, to step away. Um, I still teach it. Mm-hmm. Uh, next week I'm teaching a two part course at Stanford on heart math. Oh, wonderful. So I never stopped teaching at Stanford. Okay, uh, I just great. completed a course at the New York open center in June. That mm. was part heart math and part creativity. Oh. Um, next weekend I'm teaching a course to this new graduate Institute where I'm now the president. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll be part heart math and part creativity. So I teach mm-hmm. it all the time. Mm-hmm. I have coaching clients that the only work I do with them is is heart math. Okay. But I'm not in the organization gotcha. uh, in gotcha. any kind of in any formal role. All right. So let let's leave things there for the moment. This is our last break of the show. When we come back, let's talk about like what are you doing now? How are you working with people? And then we'll finish off with uh, you know letting people know how to get in touch with you. Okay, Bruce. Fantastic. Wonderful. Thanks, Sam. So everyone, please stay tuned. You're listening to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We do this every Thursday, 12 noon to 1 p.m. Eastern. And we've been speaking this hour with Bruce Cryer, uh, one of the founding members of the HeartMath Institute. And we will be right back after this. 
Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We've been speaking this hour with Bruce Cryer, one of the original founding team for the HeartMath Institute. Um, and it's been a few years. So, so Bruce, what are you working on now? Like, like, what is it that occupies most of your time these days? Well, as of six weeks ago, I became president of a marvelous institution in Connecticut called the Graduate Institute. And it's a 20-year-old organization that has uh, been a degree-granting institution around holistic studies. So we have programs, uh, the two sort of flagship, one is called Integrative Health and Healing, Mm -hmm. which is a beautiful program with some amazing faculty from around the world. Uh, And the second one that's also uh, preeminent in our universe is called Learning and Thinking. And um, largely our audience has been... um, people in healthcare, nurses, other health professionals, and mm-hmm. teachers. Um, mm-hmm. Although it's open to anyone, and we have business people, and we have coaches, mm-hmm. and we have all kinds of people that, uh, that visit our programs. Now we're online completely, as are most institutions. Mm-hmm. But it's a very rich set of programs, some of which can lead to an M- a master's if you choose to do that. Mm-hmm. Others are certificate programs, etc. So mm-hmm. I'm the CEO. As of six weeks ago. Congratulations. So it's, it's been a learning curve and a delight because mm. it's a world that I have lived in for so many years. It's mm. Holistic studies has been since I was a teenager for me and mm-hmm. professionally for 40 years, mm-hmm. almost. Yeah, 40. Mm. So um, I love all that. And in my, as I was exiting HeartMath in 2011, uh, the, the urge to be creative again, as I mentioned before the break, mm-hmm. was getting stronger and it led to me deciding I needed to sing again, and that led me to realizing I actually could dance again, even though I now had titanium hips. <laughs> and in fact, I could dance really well, because now I have titanium hips. That's right, knows. right. You should be able to dance really well now. <laughs> exactly. The, the hips are no longer a problem. Now I've got like super strong, powerful right. hips. I just Now I had to get the muscles and ligaments back in shape. Right, right. Um, and uh, my my love of photography blossomed and blossomed and blossomed. Mm. And this, this whole trajectory began again of diving deep into my own creative nature and kind of embracing the fact that I am one creative person, whether I want to mm. admit it or not, I just right. am. And if I'm not involved in the creative process in significant ways, my life feels less full. Mm. And I feel like I, I'm not able to do whatever I do as fully. Mm-hmm. So the journey continued and people started saying, you're like a renaissance man. You've recovered from all these life-threatening things and you're, you're creative again and you're singing great, and you're dancing, mm-hmm. you know, all this stuff. And Renaissance Man, I kept hearing that, and I thought, Renaissance Man, that should be the name of the, the I should write a book about this. Oh, wait a minute, half the world's population won't relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> it's an old-fashioned term. And I thought of Renaissance Human. Mm. Renaissance Human, wow, that sounds really different. That sounds very modern, mm-hmm. but also an honoring of, of beauty, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So I've been developing a whole set of content around that, and, and, oh, and I approached Stanford, where I'd already been teaching for almost 20 years, in their employee wellness program. And I said, look, I'd like to create a course around this idea of rebirth and creativity and link it to well-being and let's offer it through the wellness program. They loved it. They fast-tracked it. Next week, I start my eighth cohort on Monday. It's become a very popular course through the employee wellness of Stanford. It's open to the public as well. So this idea of kind of the the, the, the expression and embodiment of the full your full creative nature has become a huge passion for me. Mm. I didn't expect that part of how I would need to channel it would be into an institution as academic. Mm. But it's been really interesting the last six months, it's six weeks to feel a lot of creative energy in me. And now I'm applying it to how a department runs, how meetings run, how a strategic plan gets built. It feels so similar in a certain way. So that's become a passion. um, It it sounds like a wonderful example of focus on the what and not the how like what it was that you wanted to do was really to work more with creativity but it sounds like you were open into the how into the mechanism of it and it just you it's very much creative but it's uh, applying it through a venue that you wouldn't normally think of quite as as quite as creative well and there was a seminal moment for me where i said something out loud and as i heard myself say that i thought that is interesting. I think I need to make a marker right now. Uh, and the, the, the statement was, I'm loving being a learner again. Uh, and I, when I said that, I realized for the last 25 years, I had been a leader of an organization uh, and a leader in the world to some uh, degree. I'm not mean some major leader, but 
you know, I was seen as a leader because of this organization. Mm-hmm. I was a teacher all the time. I, mm-hmm. I, as I was stepping away from the CEO role, I had I calculated I'd done over 2,000 presentations on HeartMath by that point. I was wow. teaching and sharing all the time. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't a lot of time to d- explore other things. Uh, I never went to Esalen until about six years ago. Uh, <laughs> a friend of mine would say, wait a minute. You, are you actually a millennial or are you just acting like a millennial? Because there's no way you never went to Esalen all those yeah. years. I said I was I was completely absorbed in building a mission and building yeah. a, a helping build humanity and that was heartmen. So I realized I really want to be a learner again, and I feel like there's so much for me still to learn about life, mm. about myself, and, mm. and things that as I learn those things, some of them I'm sure I can share, mm. and it could be helpful to others who who have that same urge. Mm. And then of course COVID happens, yeah. and so many people have felt like. I'm stuck in this world. It's, it's, it feels so restricted from what I'm used to. And But then smart people are saying, but it's what is. Right. <laughs> so we can just rail against the, the, the man who's forcing us. Or we can say, well, wait a minute, I still have so much choice, Right. actually. Right. And Absolutely. it's still up to me how I use every moment, every thought, every action. So that's, I think, part of why the, this attraction to the creativity work that I've gotten into has been mm. stronger, too. It's been it's been fun, very I, fun. I, I'm curious. You've had such an interesting life so far, and and you've been exposed to so many like leading edge stuff, um, and and you've gone through obviously, you know, cancer is no small thing. You've gone through uh, amazing challenges. How has what you've learned over the years really served you to get through those challenges? Um. Thank you for asking that question. Um, several times during that period when I was dealing with all the health stuff, somebody would come up to me, a friend, a family member, a doctor, a nurse, and would say, you're looking really good. I thought you'd be, I th- I thought you'd be handling this worse than you are. Or, uh, you know, I, I, you're looking so much better than I was expecting, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's kind of a weird compliment. <laughs> but, um, like, how bad did you think I was going to look? Right, <laughs> right, exactly. right, right. I mean, I didn't just have bladder surgery. I mean, come on now. <laughs> um, but the, the, in the, in the, as I reflected on this, I realized this was, there was a compliment in here because mm. what was being basically said, what I understood was I have – a surprising amount of resilience. Mm. People are like surprised, like you're you're walking after hip surgery and you're looking really happy, like, mm. and you're seriously drugged out. So okay, <laughs> but anyhow, this resilience feeling was was I have a core that I developed through my own work mm-hmm. and all the teaching that I did of the HeartMath tools. That is a core of rubber, if you will, rubber in the mm. sense of resilient, flexible, and able to flex with life and. And I think that's one of the qualities that is maybe most. Yeah, yeah, and being flexible about me. Yeah, no. most notable about me is that things things that would take out other people or would have taken me out in other phases of my life. Right. Now it's like pretty quick. It's like, okay, how do we deal with this? How yeah. do we? And, and especially now, having gone through all that I went through, mm-hmm. now it's like if an email really upsets me, it's mm-hmm. like my higher self says. Dude, seriously, you're getting bent out of shape over this, and you have conquered things that so much bigger right. and life-threatening right. than, than than this. Come on now, dude, you're 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 bigger than this. Right. So and, I think the, and the sense of the power of the heart is mm. has been huge for me. Yeah, yeah, no, that's amazing. That's amazing, and especially now in today, where we live in such an uncertain time. I mean, like nobody knows what tomorrow's going to exactly. bring. Being flexible and being just open to what will be, and and not sort of resisting it, like you mentioned before, is is what we need to how we what we need to embody right now in order to really thrive in the environment we find ourselves in. Many times in my journey, and this has happened in the last six months too, but I would say less lesser t- t- degree. Um, there would be times of just like, what am I doing? I don't know where, I don't know what the next step is supposed to be. This is not turning out like I was hoping or expecting. I, I clearly am not clear what to do next. And my higher self would say, but you know how to love. You know how to put love out to people. You know how to love that person who has almost undoubtedly got it worse than you. You know how to do that, so just do that. Mm. 
if it is too hard to figure out because what isn't impossible to figure out right now? I mean, mm. come on. Yeah. Anybody who talks with any certainty about anything, yeah. you know, people ask me, what are your goals for the next year? <laughs> okay, what time is it? 12, 15. My goal is to get to 1 o'clock. <laughs> Once I successfully do that, I'm shooting for 2. Right. <laughs> I might go all the way to 4 is my next goal. I might get really ambitious. But it's like, be in the moment, man. Yeah. Because there's so yeah. much uncertainties. Be in the heart. Be in the, in the heart of the moment and just yeah. put out as much love as you can to yourself, especially let alone to everybody else. We're all having a rough time. Yeah, yeah. We all have our days that are really challenging. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Thank you, thank you. What a beautiful way to, to end this conversation. So if people want to learn about like your coaching programs or, or, or what, you up to, what you're up to, uh, is there a website? Is there some way for people to contact you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm basically my name everywhere. So brucecryer.com is the website. Mm -hmm. uh, Facebook, Bruce Cryer. Instagram, Bruce Cryer. LinkedIn, Bruce Cryer. Twitter, Bruce Cryer. I do want to give the shout out to my, my new loves, which are the Graduate Institute. Mm -hmm. the, the URL for that, I don't know how we got it 20 years ago, learn.edu. Learn.edu. Oh, wow. that's, our, that's our URL. You will not forget that, learn.edu. Mm -hmm. Check us out. It's a, it's a marvelous organization. Wonderful stuff. So um, that's, that's how to find me. Oh, beautiful. I just want to let you know that, that, that we've been getting a lot of love on the Facebook live stream. I've been seeing a lot of hearts flying. And uh, William posted about how uh, he had a doctor's appointment and he did his heart math exercises and his blood pressure went down to like 108 and 70, over 74. And, and his oxygen Beautiful. level was like 97. And wow. uh, Patty like really said she wants to learn. So thank you, Bruce. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to come on the show today. It's been a pleasure my, having you. My pleasure, Sam. It's a, been a delight to get to know you a little bit in this, in this hour. Absolutely. Absolutely. And hey, you know, once the this lockdown is over and, and we're able to meet in person and when you're in New York City next, please let me know. I'd love to get together, buy you a cup of tea and, and chat a awesome. little bit more. I think awesome. we could we could talk for hours. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> no, no lack of ideas. Yes. Stuff to share. Absolutely. I have a, believe me, I have lots of topics we, we, we didn't even have time to touch upon that I would love to, to, to share with sure. you. And thank you, Patty, William, all my loyal listeners for tuning in today. I really appreciate you. Uh, stay tuned. Next up is Ken Foster and his show, uh, Voices of Courage, uh, followed later today by Antonia and her show, So Now You Know. And this evening, uh, Graham Dobbins and his show, uh, The Mind Behind Leadership. Thank you all for tuning in. We will talk to you next week.